1: Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And you know it is my absolute pleasure to bring you these shows with great guests each week. And today we're going to do something a little different. So I'd like to welcome Jeremy Heroitz, creator of the Sell Like a Spy program. The Sell Like a Spy program incorporates tradecraft from the world of espionage into the world of sales. As founder of Challenger Hill Consulting, Jeremy leverages two decades of multidisciplinary experience to support a variety of clients. He consults on business development, communications, and risk management. And we are so excited to have him here today. So thanks for joining us, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. So tell everybody where you're from.
0: I'm from New York originally.
1: And so where do you live now?
0: I live in Brooklyn.
1: So why are you here in Dallas?
0: <laughs> I'm in, I'm here in Dallas because of the rather wonderful president of CEO Trust, Teresa Boyce. Uh, she's been an advocate for what I'm doing with Sell Like a Spy. I've spoken to her organization several times, including just this morning to help uh, some of the members on their uh, engagements in developing board seats.
1: Yeah, and uh, shout out to Teresa Boyce for that because it was so interesting. Actually, I met Teresa I love to make connections cause mm-hmm. it's all a spider web, right? right? Because one of my young executives from success North Dallas used to work for her oh, wow. and she was like, really encourage him, mentoring him and send him off on his way to do something even greater, which he, he did. He just actually now just entered into the C suite. Okay at like 26 years old
0: thanks to her wow
1: yeah and so um she she did very well to let that bird fly um but yeah so I met her through him and then she sent me this email one day and she was just like I've got this guy he's amazing and (laughs) I was like okay let's do this and that's how we met and I've just been really curious about everything that you're doing and so and you're speaking at an event tonight too right yeah okay yeah How many people do you think you'll be speaking to tonight?
0: Tonight's going to be a small event. It's kind of like a wine dinner. I think there's going to be, uh, uh, two dozen people, maybe a little bit less. It's a very intimate dinner. Yeah.
1: Those are the best kind, Yeah, especially when you get close to the speaker and you can ask all kinds of questions. So. Tell tell me about you. Tell me about your journey to where you are
0: today. Sure. Well, um, after college, I had a sense of wanderlust and wanted to go overseas. And I went to Europe with a backpack and a guitar and a one-way ticket (laughs) and I didn't come home for almost 10 years. Well, I came home, but I, I lived abroad for a decade. Basically I was based out of Prague and Shanghai. And, uh, those were incredible experiences. Um, you know, I got to see Prague. I'm dating myself here at the end of the nineties. Uh, it was a really special, historic moment that won't be repeated again. The transition from a centrally planned economy to a market economy. And that makes it sound rather state. It was a beautiful time of change and I got to really experience that. Um, And I was a freelance journalist and I wrote about a wide variety of subjects. So you can just really imagine kind of digging in on such a wide range of things out there in the world. Um, I also helped build and run a newspaper association called Project Syndicate, which I'm quite proud of. I spent nine years working with them, um, so that was something that um, your listeners should go take a look at, Project Syndicate. And uh, coming back to New York after that experience, I tried, was figuring out where I would fit in with this, you know, somewhat yeah. unique experience, and I found this world of corporate security where. There are a lot of people. It's mostly populated by people with government backgrounds, but they value the um, contributions of journalists because you know some of us have had experience in some of these um, emerging markets where their clients are investing and want to know, so we, we we can advise them there. Uh, We've experienced uh, writing under deadline and writing well, and then um, you know also investigating things. So I found a real home in that world, and that's where I began to start learning some of the lessons that I teach in the Buy program
1: that is so amazing and so when you founded sell like a spy you did that after watching these people that are in the espionage and stuff like that how quickly they would build rapport with the people that they were trying to get information from so and now you're using those techniques to assist your clients so tell me about your experience when you started sell like a spy
0: yeah Well, you know, it was during COVID and, uh, you know, I, I, like many people at that moment sort of had, uh, had been rethinking kind of their work life and what they wanted Mm -hmm. from it. And I realized, you know, I've had great experiences working for companies and, you know, gathering really valuable experience, but this was a time in my life where I wanted to focus on some of the things that I've worked on and build my own business. So I founded my own consulting company and I started really thinking about writing and, and working on this Sell Like a Spy program. Um, that's what i did you know i built a website i started finding um you know through good fortune great people like teresa have helped me sort of believe in the idea i now have a, a book agent and we're, we're pitching a book around to editors and um it's been incredibly rewarding to go around the country and kind of talk to people about communication strategies from the world of espionage
1: so how did you get close to the world of espionage? Was it just through your reporting? How did that happen? Yeah.
0: Well, I like to say that when I was a young journalist, I, I think I experienced being worked over by spies a little bit. Because, no. Yeah, I mean, I was never anybody's agent, but I recall going to embassy functions in Prague when I lived there. And at that time I was traveling so much and I was talking with editors and senior political officials in a variety of locations. And I remember being at an embassy function and a, a diplomat sort of asking me a lot of questions. And he used the technique that we're all familiar with called flattery but if you if you dig down deeper, spies use flattery to elicit information. Because in our culture, if you flatter somebody, they tend to be self-deprecating and they start explaining the source of their success. So flattery is a great way to learn about somebody when you don't necessarily want to ask questions that are so on the nose. And these people were flattering me and buttering me up and asking all sorts of questions about people I've talked to. And I was a young guy and more than happy to be flattered and answer questions. So that was my first taste of it. But then working in in court, and I wrote a lot about intelligence and all of that, And I like to say that we were, I was kind of competing for information with spies maybe in some ways, but then working in corporate security and working so closely with intelligence officers, it was impossible to not be impressed with how intellectually omnivorous they are. Their ability to talk about such a wide range of subjects, their ability, as you noted, to build rapport very quickly. Mm -hmm. But what was so great also about the corporate security work was I was exposed to other elite government uh, officials where, so for instance, um, the first firm I worked for specialized in kidnapped for ransom negotiations. Oh, yeah. Which is a very niche industry, but it's a fascinating one. One I could ramble on about for a long time. (laughs) And a lot of the people I learned from were former uh, hostage negotiators with the FBI who have an extraordinary skill set when it comes to things like mirroring, um, diffusing difficult encounters. At what the FBI calls skills of social influence. So, you know, it was FBI agents, it was military interrogators, special forces types. I learned from all these incredible public servants, um, and that's what I incorporate in the Cell Like a Spy program.
1: So, and I want to talk about the principles of the Cell Like a Spy program here in just a minute. But I'm curious. You said something that kind of triggered something with me because we all know we're told this. Well, hopefully, some of us are taught this about the mirroring. That's that's a very mm-hmm. basic one, right? Yeah. Do you think
0: I have a twist on it, but yeah. Okay.
1: I, I want to <laughs> hear your twist because maybe it's going to answer this question. Yeah. Do you think it's overused?
0: Do I think it's overused?
1: So, you know, we tell like people who are going to, um, interview for jobs to mirror what the other person's doing. Yep. Everybody knows that you're doing that
0: now, right? Not necessarily. I don't think it's overused. I think if uh what I tell people is practice mirroring in your everyday life because if it's badly used, it can be easy to spot and it can undermine what you're trying to do because it make the it can make the person feel like they're being copied or made fun yes. of. And that's the like opposite. Like if I was doing this like you for. right now. Right, exactly. Well, I might not necessarily notice it, but if we're sitting across the table and you have your elbows on the table and you're leaning forward, mirroring that is is not something you're going to turn around and say, what are you doing? Why do you have your elbows on the table? Right. But it's a much smarter move than sitting back and crossing your legs because it will signal very powerfully to the brain, this sense of empathy, this sense of this person is on the same page with me. Now my twist on it, I call it the varsity move of mirroring is verbal mirroring. And that's where you get into the world of FBI hostage negotiators once again, because when you think about the, what they go through, they have to uh, try to build rapport with somebody who is probably very upset, potentially mentally ill, yes. you know, has taken people hostage and is either committed violence or is threatening to do so. So they need to very quickly build rapport and can't do so in front of them. So they use some of the same words that they're hearing. You know, They use um, pet words and colloquialisms in particular and all of us can do that you know i have a friend that says by the way all the time in conversation so when i speak with him i I do that another says 100 percent," to say yes a lot so i grab those things and i start practicing them when i see them and i would argue that you know subtle mirroring both on the physical and verbal side if you can combine them could really help shortcut the uh, rapport building process
1: okay so that's really interesting and again you know we work Primarily we're speaking to our job seekers. Mm-hmm. We're speaking to those that want to better their career. So how would you use, okay, let me ask you this a different way. What would be the top recommendation you would have for somebody who's either going for a job interview or maybe going for some kind of negotiation within their current company?
0: What I would suggest there, what, you know, mirroring is always a great idea, mm-hmm. but, um, and you know, it, it would really depend on the circumstance. Cause if you know that person, a little bit, and you already have that rapport. You know, then it's a question of how you want to get the information. So, well, let me let me give you a, an answer there, and use um, something that people really enjoy learning about, which is elicitation. Mm-hmm. You know, I describe elicitation as a way to collect information with a little bit more of a circumspect approach. It's something that I have to tell, you know, HR people, learning and development folks who are bringing me in. uh, They're worried about me teaching their team the black arts and doing something illegal. And I have to tell them (laughs) this is nothing illegal. You know, this is basic things. We use elicitation all the time. So I give examples from, you know, everyday life, from the spy world, from the sales world to show people how elicitation works. and there are triggers. Like I said, flattery is a way to elicit okay. information. Um, so is a tendency to correct. So um, maybe a quick example. Mm-hmm. So let's say that I am throwing a surprise party for you. You have a big birthday coming up, <gasps> right? It's gonna be a lot of fun. All of your friends and I were plotting to throw you a party, but and we wanna have your favorite food on hand, right? Cause we want it to be a great success, but we can't remember your favorite food. and. Some friends, I guess, right? But, uh, <laughs> but we're, I have an idea. So I call you up and I say, Casey, there's a, a new Thai restaurant in my neighborhood getting rave reviews. Are you free some time for dinner next week? Didn't you tell me Thai is your favorite food? And you say, I'd love to get dinner next week. Thai sounds great, but I don't know where you got it. It was my favorite food. Pizza is my favorite food. So I was able to subtly learn what your favorite food was and if I did it in a more hands-on or you know head-on way of asking, hey, Casey, remind me what your favorite food is, you might go, what is he why is he asking me that? I got this birthday coming yeah. up. What are these guys up to? So, you know, in a negotiation, uh, you might want to elicit information that could, you know, be helpful to in your negotiation. So you go into that discussion thinking, what are the key things I want to learn here? And what would where would I be best served in collecting that information? Do I want to ask it very directly or is there a more circumspect way that I can get to that information?
1: You know, that just brought back a memory, just triggered a memory. Yeah. I have a friend who's so good at that oh, and yeah. she doesn't live here in Texas and we've never actually met in person, but we're like the best of friends. <laughs> that COVID. Yeah. Who knows? But anyway, so for Christmas one year, I got a pair of Ugg house shoes. Okay. And they were from her and I was like, how did you know what size shoe I wore? And she goes don't you remember this conversation we had like four months ago when we were just kind of talking about and comparing shoe sizes I was already planning to get you those
0: <laughs> and so she learned all about my shoe size great example she was able to elicit it and if she was a really good elicitation person she would use what i call the hourglass conversation okay. not what i call it, it's what it's known as and the idea there is that people remember the beginning and end of a conversation more than the middle mm. so when i called you up to ask about your favorite food i would have started you know asking about some tv show we're watching both of us and then put in my attempt at elicitation and then finished up maybe talking about a sports team, we both follow whatever it is. So if you have a premeditated attempt at elicitation, put it in the middle of the conversation. That is so good. It's useful.
1: I have never heard that before. (laughs) Okay. So what are the general principles of selling like a spy?
0: Well, the the, the philosophy behind it is that spies are a little bit of a misunderstood population. I'm going to back into that and, uh, uh, answer by saying that. And, you know, I spend a lot of time, almost every talk I do, I break the ice by talking about misconceptions about spies. They don't look like James Bond. They actually look more like a frumpy academic more often than <laughs> not. Cause if you think about it, if you're a spy at a, you know, a diplomatic event, you want to blend into things. You don't right. want to be the heartthrob everybody's keeping an eye on and spies, aren't doing, you know, uh, car chases and gunfights. That's the stuff of Hollywood, what they are, are elite relationship managers. And I like to say, and this is the philosophy that spies are in fact, the world's best salespeople. Because what's a harder sale to make than to commit someone to commit treason? That's the bedrock principle here. And then some of the ideas behind it are elicitation, mirroring, developing an active listening practice, which is something you need to commit yourself to. And there's ways to think about how, why it's so hard to be a good uh, active listener, why it's so hard to remember people's names, things like that. So I, I share elements of behavioral science that the FBI has worked on to help people become better active listeners. And then um, I run a variety of workshops, like Spies in Disguise, where I help people um, through motivational tools to, first, I help them uh, understand how spies think about disguises and cover stories, which is pretty interesting stuff. And then I help them think about people they admire in their lives and and traits that they admire and how to amplify sides of your personality or de-emphasize sides of your personality to meet the moment. Um, There's other strategies like uh, go to where the clients are, crawl, walk, run, um, use your superpowers. So a variety of ways to leverage spy tradecraft into your salesmanship and your daily life to help you connect more deeply and influence people.
1: That is pretty cool. There's some areas of my life that I probably need to de-emphasize in some conversations. (laughs) Sometimes, yeah. And that active listening thing i could probably use that so spies in disguise i love that i'm gonna i think i'm gonna check that part out because i I need some help there so and i know you you use this to teach sales teams and sales people but i mean it can apply to anybody you know especially and i love to take it back to like if you're going to get a job or something like that but what are some common sales mistakes that you see people making that you try to help correct
0: yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I, I started Solicus by was, um, you know, a little bit of a discontent with sales trainings. Mm-hmm. I've been through a lot of them, and I found them to be quite useless, frankly. For for the most part, a lot of them were done by people who, they, I don't think they had any career in sales, and they don't, they didn't seem to be very socially graceful people, and they're mm-hmm. kind of telling you to paint by the numbers, you know, do X to get to Y. And I think sales is more of an art than a science. And we teach salespeople to come in, especially younger people, here's the pitch, go do this. Yes. And instead, I think it's more useful to, to learn some of the things that I'm talking about, how to better relate to people, you know, how to do research on your target and understand how they might be influenced and find common bonds to mirror people and develop that rapport. Because people will go to bat for you and people will you know, be willing to work with you if you can find how to push the bu- buttons on a personality. And, you know, salespeople giving a canned pitch, it's just going to, people are going to, their eyes are going to glaze over. So if you're, the, you know, to kind of wrap it up, this particular point, if there's a sales pitch, learn how to make it your own, learn how to personalize it, put your own spin on it, rather than just kind of regurgitating the company line.
1: You know, one of the things when I first started in sales, because believe it or not, this is not my first career, <laughs> uh, but I've been doing sales for a long time, even though my product has a brain. Mm-hmm. Um, the, one of the first things they taught us was like, Kind of like what you're saying is like when you go into your client meeting, mm-hmm. scan the room, mm-hmm. find something that you can relate on. Yeah. Like whether it's a football team that, because they've got a picture of so and so, I don't know football people, so and so up, or it's, you know, their kids or a dog, you yeah. know, something to build that rapport quickly.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that. Can I riff on that for first? Yeah, thing? so. Go. One of the things I like to talk about is the atmosphere and intangibles of any environment. So, you know, I like to talk about, I'll try to keep this brief, but, you know, you're waiting in a conference room for your clients to come in, and, you know, you hear footsteps coming down the hall, but it's quite quiet. And then all of a sudden, four conservatively dressed men walk in. The most cursory of greetings, they sit down and they start chatting with you right away about business, right? Mm-hmm. The other scenario is you hear voices coming down the hall, shoes squeaking, laughter. Mixed group of men and women come in and they start bantering with you, joking around. That is a very different environment, right? Yeah. And I talk to people about how spies approach that, how how labeling works and how to bring that the subconscious to the conscious is something I like to talk about. But I take it further and I think it's where you were alluding to. and It is very savvy that you, that you look for mm-hmm. that because, um, let's say I'm going on a sales pitch for a new prospect and I walk into the office and it's very Spartan, there's not much in the reception area. I look into the rest of the office and it's just cubicles, no decoration. Well, that to me signals a value sell. That's an organization that seems to value budget, right? And they're going to want to hear about getting the best value in their product or service. Conversely, you know, I've been to a lot of hedge funds in New York, working mm-hmm. with them, you go to some of these hedge funds, 50, story overlooking Central Park, gorgeous artwork on the wall, beautiful interior design, well, they're going to value a premium sell, you know, the the best in class of any product or service. So I really like to point out, and I think, again, it was very savvy of you to to think like that, to, you know, use the atmosphere and intangibles to help inform whether it's your sales pitch or just how you're going to relate to that person.
1: I, I think that's brilliant. I don't think that I thought it through quite that deeply. But. You're on the right track, you know? <laughs> no, that's yeah. really good. And it makes a lot of sense, especially if you're in sales. So yeah. um, you offer your Sell Like a Spy program through the Interfor Academy. Is that correct?
0: Both independently. And you can contact me through my website. And I'm always happy to do that. But, yes, I'm a strategic advisor at Interfor International, uh, corporate intelligence firm with an amazing background and just, you know, a really, really terrific company. And we recently started Interfor Academy, um, which is, um, a speaker's bureau of sorts, a kind of new kind of way to engage expertise. It's mostly individuals from the security world. Um, uh, well, it's all from the security world, but mostly with a government background and then people like myself who've never worked for the government, but are in the security world as well. Um, and we all have a unique spin on things. And, you, we can, we're available to come in for, you know, keynote speeches at conferences, lunch and learns, you know, off sites with teams or very specific training. So we have some people that are former special forces members in the Israeli defense forces, and they can come and do some counter surveillance training at a partner meeting and Oof. great team building stuff, you know? Um, or we can have the former head of the CIA's Counterterrorism center come in and talk about the ethics of spies, which is a super interesting subject. So there's a lot of cool ideas in Intro4 Academy. you wanna do it in. all. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> We think it's going to be a real interesting thing for companies.
1: So, but is it only for companies? I mean, could I individually attend?
0: Uh, not really, probably. Oh. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, look, if there's if there's a public event, I'm speaking New York in New York next week at, a, um, at an event uh, for a group called the New York Alliance, and I'm allowed some guests there. I'd be happy to invite you if you were in New York. <laughs> um, but we, you know, uh, we're open-minded. And if people contact us and it's some, you know, NGO or something that is uh, public service, I think we'd be open to it.
1: Oh, you're going to have to get me more information on this because this kind of got sprung on me at the last minute before the interview. It's and fairly new. I, I, you know, I have companies all over contacting me all the time for different kinds of, um, you know, training and stuff like that. And this could definitely be something I'd add to the list. So I've right. got one more question for you. So as an sure. experienced sales leader yeah. and consultant, what is one piece of advice that you would want to share?
0: Well, I think it comes back to um, having passions, having interests. Um, one of my, if I can tell a quick story to, yeah. to make that real, um, I when I talk about, when I teach using your superpowers, the idea is what are three subjects you can use as a go-to to have a, mm. sh- a sharpened tool in your back pocket when you walk into that networking event or anything. And you know, look, you could be the biggest extrovert around, but you walk into an event with 100 people you've never met before, it can be intimidating. So I like to talk about having that kind of um, tool in your disposal. And one of those for me is baseball. It's been an enduring passion in my life. I'm a huge baseball nut to the exclusion of everything else. And uh, one time I was at an event, I'm a Yankees fan. I, I hope that's okay here in Texas. <laughs> we'll see, Yeah, and, we'll talk uh, later. Uh, and uh, I saw somebody with a New York Yankees name tag. He worked on the security side and I went up to him and I started talking with him and he appreciated my interest in his work and my passion for the team. He ultimately had me at the stadium, did gave me a tour. It was a really fantastic wow. day. But really the big part of it was that he said, look, Jeremy, we're looking to hire a security consultant to come in and speak to the team about some of the risks that they faced. Players are from some challenging countries in Latin America. They've been the focus of kidnapping, extortion, uh, blackmail, all sorts of things. So we had this incredible day where uh, myself and a colleague briefed the New York Yankees in their spring training. And it was the professional highlight of my career. Somewhere my dad is smiling right now as he describe that, but it also led to a revenue recurring lucrative relationship with the world's most valuable sports franchise. And that was because I followed my passion and because I have this passion, right? So people sometimes over-index on their career and, you know, working their butt off and they forget to be a human being and they forget to have passions and interests. So embrace your hobbies and have passions, be an interesting person, be somebody that somebody wants to spend time with and hidden doors are going to open up in your career Mm -hmm. should you have that.
1: Wow. That was beautiful. (laughs) I agree with everything you just said. So... (laughs) Oh, I we could talk all day. I'm sure. (laughs) Unfortunately, we're gonna have to wrap up this podcast, but not before I ask you my VIP questions. Okay, let's do it. Okay, are are you ready? I'm ready. All right. If you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars what three things or people would you take with you?
0: Yeah, well, the top of the list has to be my wife because it would be lonely there on Mars and she's the closest person to me and would help me pass the time. So that's an easy one. Secondly, it would certainly uh, be my guitar because I'm a musician in my other life. One of the other kind of passions that open okay. doors for me and helps me connect with people. And that would also help pass lonely nights in that you know cold atmosphere of Mars. I would love to have the guitar.
1: I wonder if the music would sound the
0: same. <laughs> I wonder too.
1: That's okay, intriguing,
0: now I, now I wanna go there. <laughs> um, and then I think I'd bring a, a journal because I'm a, I'm a pretty consistent journaler and I think it would be really interesting to have a record of life on Mars and sharing mm. my, my thoughts and, and marking them down.
1: I'm a consistent journaler
0: too. <laughs> Great. Yes, we'll talk more about that. Okay.
1: Um, okay, so what is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success?
0: Yeah, well, I set my intentions down, I I note them down, and I set kind of goals that I want to knock off for the day. And uh, I bucket them into different areas of my work, because there's a few areas, there's the work I do with Interfor, there's my public speaking and work with Sell Like a Spy, there's sometimes overlap, as we're discussing. Um, And then there's personal goals that I have during the day. And I value being able to look at those intentions and cross off things when I've gotten them done, it makes me feel a sense of accomplishment, and it helps me organize my day.
1: We are so much alike. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, final VIP question. Okay. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be?
0: Yeah, I'm gonna struggle with this one. It's a little bit hard because I've had this multidisciplinary life. so. I think it would have to be something that would reflect that because the best days in my life when I've been most proud of what I've done, I've, you know, written a story in a, in a good publication about China and maybe closed a big deal and then played a show that night. <laughs> in music. So maybe it would be the headline, you know, because I uh, I'm proud of myself that I think I'm living my best life and kind of manifesting and actualizing who I am when I have those kinds of days. So um, I'll leave the headline to you, but it would involve that kind of day.
1: Okay. Well, I'm not going to come up with one on the
0: spot. So this has
1: been a lot of fun. How do people get in touch with you?
0: Uh, Best way to reach me is uh, the email address is info at selllikeaspy.net. The URL is uh, www.SellLikeASpy.net. I would encourage everybody to look up Interfor International, see what we're up to there. Um, reach out if you have any needs or if you're interested in Interfor Academy.
1: It just sounds so fascinating. You you have such a fascinating career. Thank you. You, you, you don't work a day in your life, do you? Because you love what you do?
0: <laughs> now, that, now that I'm working independently and, and working with, with Interfor like this, the, the work is a pleasure. And I really love what I do.
1: That's why you need to find your passion. Absolutely. It has been... An absolute pleasure having you on the show today, Jeremy. Thank you so much. And I just have one last thing to say to you. Tell me. You are a VIP.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Casey. It's been so great to be here. I've enjoyed it.
1: And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.